Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. Yeah, so Zach's going to start recording now. And then basically, Sean, why don't you... uh, introduce us uh essentially you got the md and the jd did you become a lawyer first or a doctor first or you know my ex-wife did the same thing she's md and then got jd afterwards so tell us a little bit about your background and then we can sure. get into all this so I originally got started in law enforcement i worked as a uniform police officer and then um during my college years and after college uh, i continued in law enforcement and actually went into uh, narcotics i did undercover narcotics work and organized crime got interested in the criminal justice system from a legal perspective. So actually went on to law school and practiced after I graduated from law school at Villanova University uh, for about three years as a criminal prosecutor and got very interested in narcotics prosecution and substance abuse because of my undercover narcotics work. And, and after doing that, um, you know, I met uh, some other attorneys that were interested in science and we would talk about things and I, I'd always been interested in science and I think uh, throughout my legal career uh, scientific application to my legal uh, prosecutions were of interest to me so I decided to go back to college uh, I'd originally gone to Penn State as a criminal justice major but I returned to Villanova University when I went to law school and entered a post-baccalaureate program uh, basically going back and taking my pre-med courses, whole year of biology and chemistry and organic chemistry. And so uh, I worked uh, at nighttime as a, as a security guard, even though I was an attorney. Um, I, I worked as a night watchman, which was a great way to uh, go through grad school. I just sat there and studied. Uh, today I do a stand-up desk instead of sitting. But uh, I, I studied all night long, got straight A's and did very well on my MCATs enough to go to medical school and uh, got a scholarship through the Army uh, HPSB program. And thank you for your service, Sean. I know you're a former Air Force uh, uh, surgeon. So the Army paid my way through medical school. And then I trained after I got out of medical school through the Army in emergency medicine. So I'm actually a residency trained um, emergency medicine physician and practiced for about 20 years emergency medicine until I just gradually got super interested in health and reversing disease. That brings me up to where pretty much where I am today. Sean, so you, you know, and I've talked to you uh, before privately and you're doing a lot of stuff with MRIs and in your specialty, how did you get into this MRI sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, we use MRIs in the ER to evaluate for acute stroke and small uh, signs of ischemic disease, not so much for cancer because we're less worried about emergency uh, cancer and emergency medicine. But uh, I had some familiarity, of course, as a physician with MRI, but it wasn't until I moved to Minneapolis and met a researcher that was into looking at chronic disease 
And he was the one that actually introduced me to the MRI. And he said, you know, you should, uh, if you really want to reverse chronic disease and you're into health like you, you say you are, why don't you come to my research facility and we'll measure your visceral fat. And uh, I didn't know anything about it. Uh, I'd have been uh, at that point on a high fat, low carbohydrate, uh, paleo keto diet for about uh, two and a half, three years. I went to that facility and um, they scanned me. I was laying in the scanner. I was laying on that table and I had this epiphany. Uh, I was super scared. I thought, well, you know, if I have gone through this diet and I, I don't, I'm not healthy, I'm going to be pretty disappointed, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in this. And uh, the scanner tech, after he finished scanning me, walked out and he said, I didn't, I didn't know him. And he just looked down at me. He goes, you are obscenely healthy. And uh, it was almost like, you know, the first time your, your girlfriend significant ever tells you, you look, you know, they love you. It just felt so awesome. It just, it was so affirming. And uh, I, up to that moment, I, I didn't really know all my skills and medicine and all the lab tests I was doing on myself. I didn't really know how healthy it was until I went through and had that MRI scan and they explained it to me. Uh, he took me in the back and he showed me the images of my visceral fat showed me my muscles and, you know, uh, compared me to thousands of other people. And I felt awesome. So in that moment, I had this epiphany that this, this really is what we should be doing. We should be using the uh, kind of the Star Trek Dr. Bones uh, scanner, you know, device, not to look at, um, you know, something to treat, but to see how healthy people were and to, to encourage them. So from that moment on, I got super interested in that kind of research and and I've been using the MRI scanner now to look at that particular biomarker, visceral fat. And since then, we've gone on to look at pericardial fat and then atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, you know, disease within the arteries, and looking at as many biomarkers inside the body to help people uh, not just get healthy, but to become optimally healthy, following, following these biological markers to, to help motivate people that... Uh, yeah, you, you don't just want to lose some weight. You know, when you, when you really work in purpose to optimize the health of your body, then you begin to see the powerful applications of a healthy lifestyle, how that changes your life. And uh, so I'm just super excited for the past uh, six years, uh, five, six years, I've been using this MRI scanner to, to study people and help them become optimally healthy. Sean, the, the MRI stuff I think is really interesting because when I think of MRIs, a lot of times I think of kind of like a reactive type of a process where like you have something that's been bothering you for you know, X number of weeks, you go in and get an MRI done to find out exactly what's going on. So you have some direction, whereas it sounds like you kind of like took it to the other side of the spectrum where it was like, let's look at folks who we assume are healthy or, or maybe not, but some folks who probably assume are healthy and then we get a better look at what that looks like as well as how they look compared to other people who are maybe outwardly healthy. And uh, as I was looking into some of the stuff you're doing with the MRI work, uh, I was listening to one of your videos and you were talking about kind of just this idea of getting healthy versus optimizing. Could you tell our listeners a bit about kind of what the difference is or what you consider the differences in terms of just getting healthy versus like optimizing your health and then kind of how the MRI stuff had, has been very useful in that kind of quest? Yeah, that's a great question. So, uh, you know, the biggest surprise that we got is as you get rid of visceral fat, you work on that target, you eradicate chronic disease. So we, 
uh, we would track the elimination disease, uh, different symptomatology people had. We took these images to the National Science Foundation. We got a grant from the National Science Foundation and showed how when you eliminate visceral fat, you eliminate uh, manifestations of chronic disease. And that's, that's all well and good. I mean, nobody wants to have chronic disease. But here's where there's hope for humanity, is when you eliminate chronic disease, you increase human performance. And that's something that's exploitable. So you literally get people to perform better. So when you focus on these biomarkers, not for the purpose of treating disease, but eradicating disease, the end result is human performance increases. So that means corporations and organizations that understand this can exploit that approach to get their people performing better. Not to be slave masters, but you leverage improving their health, reducing healthcare costs, and the end result is people perform better. So that only happens when you optimize people's health. So just, you know, getting people to lose 10 pounds, you know, getting to, you know, to stop smoking, that's all well and good. Those, those things certainly are beneficial. And I do get my, my, my clients my, my, uh, that I work with to, to do that. But I try to adopt the approach of informing clients that I work with that the more you do, the additive effects that you get on top of those things. So it's, it's really synergistic. So, you know, uh, losing weight, particularly getting rid of visceral fat. You don't know if you're losing muscle, don't know if you're just losing subcutaneous fat or visceral fat. And between those three things, you want to lose visceral fat. And then, you know, subcutaneous fat, and least of all, you, you, you want to preserve, uh, you don't want to lose muscle, so you want to preserve that. So our approach, the approach I like to, to take is to, to help educate people to this new concept of optimizing your health. You know, I think being healthy, that's boring. That's just average. What, what I think is missing in medicine today in healthcare is the notion of modeling the optimization of health. We have role models for the best basketball players, the best football players, the best attorneys, the best finance people. Where are the health models? Where are those models optimizing the healthiest people in the world? We find them, we promote them, we change humanity. And that's what, that's my passion. So I'm looking for the healthiest men and women in the world. I wanna make them more healthy. I wanna model that and make it attractive. So young boys and girls, teenagers, people out there that have disease can look to those models and change their lives and say, I want to optimize my health too. And I think it really hasn't happened yet because most of the advice that people get are really not that effective and it doesn't have that much of a, of a impact. But when you add these things up together, you really do optimize people. And it's just a matter of getting that word out, promoting it, that I think is going to make a difference. Hey, Sean, let me, let me just interject in there because I've got some questions about this sort of optimization and how we're determining who's optimally healthy. Because uh, you know, a lot of what, traditional medicine, we look at risk profiling. We say we're going to 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 look at a bunch of risk factors, and we're kind of trying to model, you know, try to improve those risk factors. And I think what we're seeing with you know looking at visceral fat, at least in my view, is this is more indicative of actual disease or lack of disease that we can actually see. It's tangible rather than 
theoretical risk factors, which may or may not be uh, applicable in all cases in all situations. So I think we're a step closer. I think things like the coronary artery calcium scan, carotid intermedial thickening, and I know you talk about uh, uh, you know brain vasculature as well, which is kind of similar. Um, and so we we become closer to identifying actual disease that we can you know we can see with this advanced imaging. Uh, you know, earlier on, I suppose, rather than, you know, which, what's my cholesterol, what's my glucose level, so on and so forth, which I think are really broad but imprecise tools. Um, why do you think that visceral fat is important? What data is out there? And how are you going to say, I'm going to choose the healthiest people? How do we even know who these people are? What are we basing that on? Hmm. Well, you know, concerning the target of visceral fat, um, it, it's, it's disappointing to me that we don't have more studies on it. You know what we have studies on? things that uh, people can make money off of. Uh, you can't make money off visceral fat because there's no pharmaceutical drug for it. So you don't have right away uh, an emphasis or incentivization on researchers to go out and take a look at it because they don't know how to get rid of it and they don't know how to make a medication for it. But I can tell you anecdotally from scanning over 4,000 patients, eliminating visceral fat, traumatic. So it would be beneficial if we were able to aggregate that data and be able to uh, inform people, put it into a study where it shows it, but uh, it, it's a difficult thing to do. You know, to do studies, you gotta have money and money doesn't show up for um, biomarkers that, that don't make pharmaceutical companies or the healthcare system a lot of money. So what I'd like to do is get the internet community excited about visceral fat, start tracking it, getting rid of it and promoting it, then I think we can drive, hopefully, some political interest from the National Science Foundation, National Institute of Health, government funding, universities, start looking at this target. But in the meantime, um, I think we, we do need to collect data and start looking at that, the effectiveness of that. But I'm very disappointed that there really uh, has not been much uh, studies on this, this target. So uh, I, I hope that one of the exciting things that comes from social media is it gets people tar talking and trying safe things, you know, like, you know, cutting out carbohydrates and processed foods, going carnivore, going, going keto and eliminating visceral fat and tracking that difference because, you know, it's, it's the internet community that's, that's really helping to promote that. It's not coming from doctors. It's not coming from conventional healthcare. In fact, I think there's a conflict of interest there. But uh, I'm a huge advocate of visceral fat and challenge anybody who's watching this video uh, to track their visceral fat. And we can get into how, how you can do that, you, you know, several different ways that you can start tracking that. But visceral fat is, is a very early expression of disease. And I see it in kids, you know, my own kids. <laughs> you know, I scan them, I can track their visceral fat. Uh, within their abdominal cavities and soldiers and that served with me in the army uh, in their teenage and 20 year uh, in their 20s I can see visceral fat and so we've got a lot of experience looking at that marker and when you eliminate it people's health improves their appearance improves their performance improves their lives improve so I think uh, it, I think it really is a is a really useful uh, target and this contest that uh, you and I have talked a little bit about between a, 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 a two identical twin brothers that are going to adopt a carnivore. One's going to eat carnivore, the other one's going to continue to eat carbohydrates. 
I think will be uh, interesting to, to take a look at because I'd like to see the carnivore community uh, tracking visceral fat and seeing the difference it makes because in my opinion, uh, carnivores is going to dramatically reduce visceral fat. And I say this based on my own experience looking at the carnivore community that they develop a hunter-gatherer face. And so that hunter-gatherer face is consistent with somebody who has low amounts of visceral fat within their abdomen. And we don't, I'm not seeing it in the, in the vegan community. They actually have, surprisingly, when I scan them, a large amount, surprising amount of visceral fat that's retained within them, even though they might be a relatively thin, what we call tofi, thin on the outside, fat on the inside. They, they have this uh, visceral fat and they get this inflammatory look on their face. And if you're watching this video, it's not the young vegans. It's the ones that have been vegans for a long time. They get puffy, edematous, swollen faces. This tissue right up in this area gets swollen and they lose that definition that otherwise they used to have when they were younger through the accumulation of visceral fat and anybody else that is accumulating chronic disease, visceral fat will have that same look. Your face, Zach's, other people in the carnivore community, those that have eliminated processed foods, get this nice defined hunter-gatherer look to their face because they've reduced visceral fat and they just start to look better. Sean, what are some of the ways that people are tracking visceral fat? Is it something where they have to get an MRI or can they do like DEXA scan type things as well? Yeah, so that's a great question. So DEXA scan are available. They're only $100 typically. So they're a, um, a more affordable option than an MRI. The downside or disadvantage, I should say, there's just a couple with DEXA. And uh, believe me, my passion is to get our country healthy. So I, I have no vested interest in an MRI other than we use it in our facility. But the DEXA scan does expose you to radiation. So it uses ionizing radiation. So you don't want to have a scan all the time. An MRI doesn't use radiation. So I can scan people literally every day. And I have done that. I've scanned people on Friday, have them come back on Monday. Um, they've eaten carbohydrates over the weekend, going to weddings, and we can show them where they've increased their visceral fat. It's that sensitive. So DEXA scan doesn't lend itself quite so usefully for research purposes and maybe tracking it very frequently because you wouldn't want to do x-rays all the time to, to measure a biomarker. But the other disadvantage to the DEXA scan is it tends to um, only give you longitudinal uh, views of that visceral fat. So you're, uh, you can't get a cross-sectional view of it. So cross-sectional views where, you, you know, you, you kind of, you cut this direction, you could see that um, the accumulation of visceral fat solid within the abdominal cavity. And uh, that, that visually has such an impact on people because they might pinch, you know, a small amount of fat on their skin, walk around thinking they're really healthy. And yet when you look at them inside, they're filled with visceral fat that I literally, at least on one occasion, had one of my clients pass out, fall down, hit the floor because he was so shocked and impacted by the amount of visceral fat that he had inside of us that he was so surprised at. So that kind of emotional impact, seeing that, confronting people with the fact that they're not as healthy 
as they thought they were is useful. And I think a hundred years from now, we're gonna look back and say, look how incredibly diseased those people were in 2020. The amount of chronic disease that we have has never ever been so high in the history of Homo sapiens. So measuring visceral fat, I think will, will be one of the first steps, a very useful step to get rid of that uh, accumulation of chronic disease. A DEXA scan is a great way of doing it. But another way of doing it is the, the poor man's version of this, and I'll just share with the internet community. Lay on your back and you lie flat. And if you got a lot of visceral fat, your stomach will stick up. If you're a guy in your 50s and 60s and you got one of those bellies that are big, you know, pendulous abdomens, we call them, you know, a big panis, a big abdomen, that abdomen will stick right up in the air when you lay in the back, like Mount Fuji, sticks up in the air. That's visceral fat. It's not subcutaneous fat. Because subcutaneous fat rolls to the side because it's smooth, it doesn't have that higher density, that gelatinous characteristic that visceral fat has. And so that's a poor man's marker for the amount of visceral fat you have. So if you lay down and you got a stomach that sticks up, you've got a problem and you need to get rid of that visceral fat. So you can start tracking it. You can put a, a, a ruler next to it and actually measure how high your abdomen sticks up. In some cases, I've had patients, I've had to go past a ruler and get a yardstick because <laughs> that amount of visceral fat is so high up. And um, I actually invented a device that went on to get patented. Uh, and I, if you got an investor, I'll give it to you. I don't want any money. I just want to get it out there, a useful consumer device that will help people measure their visceral fat and help promote this, this particular bio, this biomarker. So that's a couple versions. One is just laying down measuring it. The other one is the, the uh, DEXA scan that I think are, are useful for your, your audience to, to pay attention and track. And I hope we get your audience, carnivore community, excited about visceral fat and tracking it uh, because when they get started on the carnivore diet, it would be useful to uh, sort of collect that and anecdotally um, you know, show and, and aggregate that people lose visceral fat when they go carnivore. Hey, Sean, I, I know you, you were lamenting the fact that there's a lack of research data on visceral fat, but there is some data out there that shows that visceral fat is at least correlated. And I, and I really, you know, I always rail, rally against, rail against correlational studies, but there are a number of studies out there showing visceral fat is related to colorectal cancer and heart disease and dementia and all that. That's, that's there. So it's not that it's understudied, but you're right. There's no you know, I'm just reading an, an article that's talking about injecting some ice slurry into the subcutaneous tissue to shrink subcutaneous fat that's now being, you know, this, this is the stuff we're seeing. It's rather than fix your damn diet, we're, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to figure out ways to make this fat go away. And granted, that's not visceral fat, but what, and you know, when I did a, when we did a carnivore, an informal carnivore study with, you know, two years ago, we had a hundred people do it for 90 days. Eight centimeters was the average loss of waste around the waist, which, uh, you know, you can't tell for sure if it's visceral or subcutaneous, but certainly we're seeing some benefits in there. So I want to ask you, um, you know, because you're, you've got, you know, you've got access to the entire body and, you know, we've got, you know, fat in the viscera, the liver, the liver, the pancreas, the perinephric fat, the omental fat, the pericardial fat, the fat around who knows, or the eyeballs or whatever. we got fat everywhere. Are you seeing a sort of consistent pattern the way this deposits and then goes away? Is, 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 it, is it, say, is 
the first thing that goes away is this and then this and this is the last fat that goes away and there's a difference between men and women and then the other question i would ask you you know because you tell you pointed to carbs and stuff like that and processed garbage can it also just be caloric excess you know if, if i overeat you know anything ketogenic diet fats meat does that play a role so let's talk yeah. about you know yeah great question so uh, first of all, the good news is when you start living healthy and you get out of the way of nature, nature wants to get rid of what's harming you. Visceral fat is the first thing that starts going away with the adaptation of a healthy diet. So you can continue to eat an unhealthy diet and visceral fat does not reduce and doesn't go away as much. So what we see is typically people that eat more healthy, a high fat, low carbohydrate diet, they may uh, continue their subcutaneous fat and it's, it stays there, but their visceral fat will go away. So that's the good news. Uh, the bad stuff goes away first. And then we see other forms of fat that you mentioned. Our, our particular uh, scanner, we have not looked at, and you're right, there are so many different targets of fat around the body. Um, but one of the other targets we look at is pericardial fat, and that's fat that encases the heart. It's just around the heart. And that also goes away very, very quickly as you adopt a uh, healthy, uh, non-processed food, low-carbohydrate diet. So pericardial fat is reduced, visceral fat is reduced, subcutaneous fat reduces over a period of, of time, but it gets rid of the harmful stuff. And the reason visceral fat is so harmful, and you're right, there are studies out there, I don't mean to you know, suggest that there aren't any, but by comparison, you know, there's this little bit of, uh, you know, studies like a visceral fat, but you have this enormous stack looking at cholesterol to make money. So we just need, we need more studies out there uh, looking at visceral fat. Visceral fat actively secretes cytokines. It's, you know, it's, it's secreting these harmful inflammatory substances throughout their body. It's in close proximity to the portal vein going right to one of your, your major organs and metabolism, your liver, and it goes right in there and it just secretes inflammatory substances. And that's why it is increasingly being found associated with chronic disease. I, I have yet to find a single condition in my clients that does not improve when you get rid of visceral fat. So if you have any kind of you know, chronic disease uh, condition that you're currently suffering from, I would invite you to give serious consideration to adopting a high-fat, low-carbohydrate, carnivore diet uh, is, uh, to, to eliminate that visceral fat and track its performance. The, the engineers, I think, are some of the most useful additions to the unlight health community, in my opinion, uh, out there because they use a discipline called uh, you know, tracking things. If it doesn't get measured, it doesn't get fixed. So they're looking at a lot of useful things, but I'm, I'm trying to direct them towards, you know, visceral fat. And, you know, I'm, I, the only value I see to these cap scans is it gets people talking about it. But, you know, I, I would much rather see people looking at visceral fat and getting eradicating that because you want no visceral fat. It brings nothing good to you, just brings harm. It starts very early in the process. And it's a biological marker that is just right for exploitation for the informed homo sapien out there to eradicate from their body. Sean, are you, are you getting any pushback with the visceral fat kind of as the 
I guess more or less the, the driver of a lot of this stuff, or is there a pretty good consensus with that? And then if not, if we are in general agreement about that, is there, are you getting pushback in terms of like the ways to reduce visceral fat? Yeah, great question. So the good news is because we don't have a huge amount of studies about visceral fat and its, and its connection to, to chronic disease is there's, there's not a lot to counter either. So, you know, all the anecdotal experience that people get when they eliminate visceral fat uh, is, is, uh, is, is not really being challenged. It, it, it's, it's out there and it's real. And when we actually eliminate visceral fat, one of the uh, interesting comments or observations we're getting with a lot of our clients is that their memory was improving, their cognitive performance was improving, their work performance was improving. So they actually inspired us to take a look at the brain. They were saying, there's something about the brain that improves when you get rid of visceral fat. So we, we started scanning the brain. And one of the things we noticed were, were these cerebral arteries called the circle of Willis. And these cerebral arteries are atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease plaques. So you can see the tortuous plaques in the, in the arteries. And when people were eliminating visceral fat, those plaques were disappearing, they were reversing. I was so excited, but you know, ultimately I've gotten really ticked off. Like, you know, uh, Sean, you're a doctor. How much experience do you have with visualizing on a scan, a biological diagnostic modality, the reversal of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease without some procedure like a stenting or carotid endorectomy where they're scraping that out. This is just from eating a natural, healthy diet and this disease process leaves. I'm not promoting products. I'm not selling supplements. I'm, I'm promoting a healthy lifestyle and that, that process leaves the body. And there's just not a place commercially for that, that messaging to be promoted. So first, thank you for having me on your show to help inform your audience that, hey, when you live healthy, you not only get rid of this visceral fat, but you, you open up your arteries. And I think I've sent you some video and stuff. You know, my arteries have become visible. You know, my pulses have opened up, you know, on my feet, you know, my dorsalis pedis, my posterior tibialis, you know, my iliacs, you know, all, all over my legs, my, my, my abdominal, my, my abdominal aortic pulse is massive. Uh, radio pulses, brachial pulses. And, you know, this is what happens when you, you optimize your health and you just, you don't see that in normal 56 year old guys. And my clients, I'm doing the same thing as I eliminate their visceral fat, their arteries are open up, their pulses are becoming visible uh, as well. So super exciting. It's leading to a, a, a lot of really interesting science, but we need to drive it into university um, communities where we can do a better job tracking that doing larger studies, uh, increasing the power available by increasing the number of people that we're studying in the timeline. All right, folks, this episode of Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a meat delivery company that brings you high quality beef, chicken, pork, salmon, and scallops. What does this mean? All products are natural and humanely raised or sustainably wild caught, as is the case with their salmon and scallops. If you are concerned with how the animals you eat were raised, rest assured, 
ButcherBox partners with farmers who are inspired by Dr. Temple Grandin, a member of the Humane Farm Animal Care Program's scientific committee. Their beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. The chicken is organic and the pork is heritage breed with no added sugar. So head over to ButcherBox.com and place an order today. And don't forget to enter promo code HPO for a discount. Thank you for supporting one of our long-standing sponsors. Now, back to the show. Yeah, Sean, just to, just to finish up the, the original question, what's the last thing, last piece of visceral fat that seems to hang on? And then there's something called brown, adipo, brown adipose tissue, which I think has a different, and that's usually located, you know, in the, in the upper thorax, you know. How do you distinguish that from the quote-unquote bad visceral fat? And have you seen any changes in that when you when you do this scanning? Yeah. So you know, residual um, persistent vis uh, visceral fat uh, typically is in the deep part of the abdomen. Maybe the last parts we see are around the viscera, um, small intestines, a little bit you know hanging around there. But uh, those large gelatinous uh, community of uh, of visceral fat pretty quickly uh, in less than a year we can just get rid of that. And, uh, and people's bodies change, their shapes change. As far as brown adipose tissue, BAT, which is a super exciting you know, biological marker that's it, positive, so you, you want more BAT. Uh, that is more histological than it is uh, uh, available to be imaged by uh, MRI scanners. We, we utilize a low resolution scanner uh, in our particular facility, we have a low res, uh, low resolution scanner. You might be able to see that in a, a much higher Tesla rated uh, MRI scanner, uh, but it's it's just not uh, it's not a very large amount of tissue. But I'd love to be able to see if we could image it. And my uh, I'm excited about that. My comments about that is you're born with it and you have it as a child, and then as disease comes into your body it's eliminated through the same process disease accumulates, we use that bat. But I think we're going to see bat uh, start accumulating back in, uh, in humans. Uh, I have, uh, I live in Minneapolis, it's, it's cold. I mean, much of the winter is below zero. And I walk around routinely wearing sandals and shorts. I have amazing resilience. I don't know how much bat I have, but I have really great cold tolerance that I'm going to attribute to, to bat. And, you know, I do some things, you know, to help out. I take cold showers and cold immersion and things along those lines. But uh, yeah, I think bat is a super exciting topic that we should be taking a look at. And uh, it's sad that we, we lose it as a child, but it doesn't have to be. I think, uh, you know, uh, I tell people, if you, want to, if you want to know what healthy looks like and you're an adult, look at your kids they have the absence of disease. And so it's the accumulation of disease in children that you see uh, develop into adults in the form of you know, manifestations of chronic disease. But as you eliminate chronic disease, the adults start looking more like their children. So the absence of chronic disease gives them a more youthful appearance, a healthier appearance. And I think that's it's an exciting target. So I use that to try to educate people about this process. Uh, it's, it's really, 
a matter of education, I think, to, to help people understand the influence that chronic disease plays uh, very insidiously in their life. They just, it's a slow period of time it accumulates. And as you eradicate it, 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 it comes off actually faster than it goes on if people are motivated. Sean, how, what is the correlation between subcutaneous fat and, and visceral fat? I mean, are we likely to see people like guys walking around with a six pack that have a bunch of visceral fat? Is that pretty unusual or is that? Yeah, I, you know, uh, I was surprised that, you know, the two uh, twins that, uh, you know, I think we'll, we'll put some images uh, of them up there. They, they have six packs, but they, you know, they have some measurable visceral fat in there. Now, not a lot, but uh, absolutely. I have MRI scans of people with six packs, walk around showing it off, filled with visceral fat. They eat a high, car high carbohydrate diet. Uh, they're taking exogenous testosterone. They're living a life of, uh, of uh, trying to look good on the outside uh, and not really optimizing their health. So great question, absolutely. So you really don't know, you know how, how healthy somebody is without taking a look at that, um, you know, that visceral fat in there. But the other way to take a look at is their faces. They're, they're, those six pack people, um, you know, they'll still have inflammatory faces. And I think that's the vegan community. You got a lot of vegans, even older vegans with six packs filled with visceral fat in there. And uh, I've successfully scanned vegans, one, one vegan, 27 years vegan. And he, he looked at me and goes, I said, we'll measure your visceral fat inside. He says, oh no, you're not gonna find any visceral fat in me. I have been vegan for 27 years. And he had close to 10 pounds of visceral fat, thin guy that accumulated, walked out, turned high fat, low carb, started eating meat. So, um, and his visceral fat went away. So uh, I'd love to scan more vegans. Uh, I'm not soliciting like 20 year olds that just went vegan. I want those 60, 50, 60 year old vegans that have been vegan for 10, 20 years to come in. And I want to show them what the 10, 20 years of uh, a high carbohydrate vegan lifestyle, uh, unfortunately, has done. And vegans, they're good people. I mean, they're, they're people. These aren't, you know, the enemy, um, but they're just misinformed. I, I was misinformed. I was an ER physician. I, I was terrified of fat. But as we, you know, learn more about science and learn the proper diet that Homo sapiens should be eating, I think we're going to see the eradication of chronic disease. And as long as people look to the science and not to the politics, there's hope that we're going to eliminate the biggest problem in our country, which is chronic disease. And I say that because no other problem costs us more money. No other problem injures more people, ruins more lives, and kills more people than chronic disease. And the sad thing is, it's completely preventable. And there are so many players in this system contributing to it. The government, healthcare systems, the insurance companies, the food producers, marketers, they all have some contributory blame to this incredible, serious, largest problem in our country. And we, we gotta dissect this, we gotta break this down and 
I'd like to challenge Amazon if they're listening or Apple. You figure out the application of biomarkers to reverse chronic disease. You inform people the appropriate lifestyles for homo sapiens. You are going to disrupt healthcare, the largest part of our economy, $3.8 trillion. And it's just available for somebody to do it. And I would encourage you to try not to chase money. Uh, your, your marker should be just the improvement and the gift to humanity. It would befall homo sapiens if we could just get rid of chronic disease. Yeah, it seems like maybe the biggest barrier to entry with some of this information is just being able to get access to it. I think like if you could have a scenario where we've seen in other space or other parts of the health and fitness space where it becomes something you can kind of bring into your house and check. And I, I think like, you know, you mentioned some kind of like quick reference ways to gauge things like at least if you should maybe check into it more with like your facial features as well as laying on the ground and trying to measure like visceral fat from a, from a, like a ruler measurement standpoint. Uh, do you see any movement in that space of something that is like a in-home type of metric gauge that's a little more exact, close to the MRI perhaps, or is that so far down the road it's hard to tell at this point? No, that's a great question. And that's, that's precisely the kind of thinking. Um, I'm trying to figure that out actually. Um, I, I, in my former life, I, I ran a concierge medical practice that I literally was building multi-million dollar medical facilities inside of uh, uh, billionaires' homes to treat disease and react to disease. And it would just, you know, you had a stroke, we could respond within 10 minutes, Sean Baker, we could push TPA on a stroke patient in their home. We had CT scanner set up, we could scan them, rule out bleed, and push that TPA. But it all pales in comparison to just simply reversing disease and optimizing health. So we've got to change this notion of treating disease and all this medical gear and equipment we have and do exactly like you say, Zach, we got to get that, that capability in people's homes and some basic things right away to start tracking my clients besides visceral fat is I take photographs of their faces and uh, attract the difference in people's faces when they, when they start going carnivore, when they start going high fat, low carb, start fasting, start going, become a ketogenic. And you can track that, that manifestation. But what's interesting is it's not just the face, everything improves, your hands improve, your body improves, your profile, your muscularity, all these markers uh, are available. And, and I, um, I have a whole collection. There's uh, spider veins, telangiectasias, we call them in medicine. Uh, those, those improve as you eliminate visceral fat. You no longer have the endothelial dysfunction of those cells lining, um, you know, uh, those, those vessels that are dysfunctional. So tracking uh, spider veins resolution. Yeah, women going to vein clinics and get them injected and being stripped of them, which is crazy. Or you can live a healthy lifestyle and they'll go away. Your face will get pretty, your body will get gorgeous and you'll improve your performance, you'll, your, your lifestyle will improve. So it's educating people to those, those things, you know, facial photographs, spider veins, muscle tonicity, just how, you know, muscle uh, hangs on your, your, your arms, how the muscle tonicity retains your entire tract. So, you know, the average 50-year-old guy's got this stomach 
that pooges out just because the muscle is no longer have the appropriate tonicity to keep the enteric content in that you see in a teenager. So, you know, educating people to that, stand up, take your profile photograph. Uh, looking at toenails, toenails yellow because of a lack of blood flow from atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease and tortuosity and a lack of arterial uh, compliance, you have hardening of the arteries. So toenails become diseased and yellow and, and hair as well, you know, becomes thinned. So all these markers will actually improve over a period of time. And I'd love to get it to Amazon, Apple, put it together and have people track that and be able to access that and, and track how they improve. And it's not, not cholesterol. We, we are, you got, your audience probably still out there terrified about cholesterol. I would love to have the marketing genius behind how in the world they have got this world standing up on their head about cholesterol, which you would die in seconds if you didn't have in your body and we are pushing drugs to get rid of it. So I, I'm passionate about forgetting cholesterol and educating people about what really matters, the earliest manifestation of disease in the body that is absolutely, you don't want any of this visceral fat, and pericardial fat, and atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. Living optimal health style is the way you do that. Don't worry about cholesterol, track important things. You'll see your skin improve, your spider veins will improve. Blackheads on your nose, you know, get better because you have a high level of oxidation, reactive oxygen species when you eat unhealthy processed foods and you get all these black dots on your nose, gross as, as can be. But you watch, you go carnivore, you go high fat, low carb, and those blackheads, they're not actually blackheads, they're called sebaceous filaments. They're just pores in your skin filled with oil, you know, sebum, natural healthy oil, that turns black. Why? Because it oxidizes. Because you're unhealthy. You have this highly inflammatory metabolic condition in your body, so, that's a real great bio biometric to follow. The elimination of these black dots that you have all over your nose um, as you adopt a carnivore diet. So, you know, create a little buzz out there to get people, you know, track that. And you're like, well, I don't really care about black dirt, you know, uh, dots on my nose. But, you know, if you, you saw somebody had dirt on their nose, you'd be one troubled about it. But let's take Zach back to when you were 18 years old and you're going in for your first kiss. And that young uh, uh, lady you're, you're moving towards, you're, you're making that romantic encounter, you're getting close. And all of a sudden you see all these black dots on their nose. Biologically, you react and you're appalled at that and you recoil. It really does matter because it shows that that person has unhealthy metabolism and nature's not excited about you uniting your good genetic material with their deficient genetic material if they live in a poor lifestyle. So we really do need these biological markers to help guide us in our health. We do look at them even if we don't recognize them. As you get people healthy in their faces, we're more attracted to follow them. You'll notice the drug pharmaceutical companies put this up there. The drug companies, the commercials on TV, the guy who's diabetic, he's fat, she's fat. They don't look attractive because they look like the rest of the population. But then you have the spokesperson, the doctor. He's got the hunter-gatherer look. He's got that, you know, 
uh, you know, salt and pepper look in his hair. He, you know, he or she, you know, looks like they they're healthy and they know what they're doing. They're telling you to take this particular drug. So, uh, I would like to see people become more healthy and patients, client, you know, my clients, uh, to become more healthy and be attracted to looking at the, those things and and not settle for obesity, not settle for a state of disease. And uh, it, it, it really is within their grasp, your grasp, if you're listening to this, just starting with your diet and, and then gradually adding other things to optimize your health, it really will dramatically change your life. It seems kind of like with some of this stuff, like the skin issues, the thinning of hair, and just like really whacked out cholesterol profiles that those are more or less like kind of the symptoms or things that pop up outwardly well outwardly in the sense with the skin and the hair maybe not so much with the cholesterol but they're things that kind of show up after the mistakes have already been made and you know it seems like that would be a good indication to kind of go back to the drawing board rather than just trying to kind of mask those but I think especially with the outward stuff like when you're talking about some of the like things that people consider like superficial like the blackheads or just any type of skin issue or thinning of hair they, they maybe want to try to remedy that but they don't necessarily want to fix it. So they want to cover it up or they want to have take something that'll like make that outward surface issue go away, but not necessarily address the core root of it all. Uh, is that something that you think is just kind of going to be, be around for a while since it's probably a lot easier to monetize and it's a lot easier to get people's attention because it's an immediate concern to them. Yeah. I just did a, a reply to this on a, uh, on the internet, Instagram, and you know, the, the problem is people want to eat tasty food and they, they will eat that taste food, um, and give me a pill. I'll buy pills so I can continue to eat this tasty, tasty food, but we have got to educate people to the fact that pleasurable tasting food pales in comparison to the real benefit to optimally living and no pill is going to optimize your health. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's just magnitudes different. You know, just, you know, in my own clients, getting their, their blood flow, improving their memory, their performance, visible pulses, uh, clients that have erectile dysfunction. What's interesting, you'll never see a commercial about, about you know, uh, this, this particular point that I'm about to share with erectile dysfunction, but with my clients, correcting erectile dysfunction doesn't just lead to improved erection. It leads to a throbbing erection, a pulsatile erection that they have never seen since they were a teenager. Okay, Viagra, try to compete with that. You can't. Now, do you want to buy pills and, and settle for a suboptimal kind of existence? Or would you rather have that kind of vibrant, vigorous existence where your blood flow is surging throughout your body, not just to your erection, but to your brains, to your heart, to your skin, to your muscles? That's the lifestyle that's available to you when you live optimally that you'll never get from pills. But we have to educate people to this. It's our responsibility in the, in, the, in the internet community and schools and government to try to, to educate people to what they, they need to know to um, optimize their health and why they wanna do that. And right now the, the, the sad message out there is 
just be healthy, be kind of normal, um, weighted, and, and just be average. Average doesn't sell. You wouldn't have an MBA or an NFL or uh, a, a news network or a financial network, hedge funds, with average performance. Why do we settle for average and the most important part of our market, our health, the most important thing, health. And yet that's what we go for. So I'm trying to push that marker. I'm trying to change this paradigm, this thinking to get people more excited about modeling optimization of health. And, you know, I sometimes use the term superhuman because, you know, we don't know what the exact extent would be of a homo sapien looking at these biological markers optimizing their health, what they would be capable of really achieving. And uh, Tom Brady is kind of challenging that. Older professional footballs, football players and professional athletes are still starting to live more optimally and pushing those outward limits of a chronological age where they can still consider, uh, can, can, can still perform professionally. But I just imagine what a Tom Brady would do uh, if he was hooked up with me in our research practice and adopted, you know, an even more concerted scientific approach. And if we had somebody, a, a uh, philanthropist who had some real money, that would, you know, put money instead of, in, you know, God bless all these cancer centers out there, but it's all treatment. What if we could prevent cancer? How about putting some money into preventing the, this, this cancer, chasing, you know, all the treatments of disease? So if you're a wealthy philanthropist, I'd like to get you excited about preventing disease and reversing disease and funding that kind of research, looking at biomarkers, you know, that actually do that instead of uh, treatment uh, paradigms where we're, we're trying to improve uh, treatment. And hey, I'm, I, I'm all favor. <laughs> if I got cancer, I want it treated, but I want my kids not to ever have cancer. Well, and I, think I don't too, want them to have chronic disease. Oh, sorry, sorry, Sean, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I think too, like sometimes when you see like the cancer debate stuff happen, it becomes kind of this like one or the other thing. Like you either like attack it holistically or you attack it through the kind of the, the standard uh, practice of care, which is I think a little bit, uh, a little goofy because like you, regardless of whether you have cancer or not, you're going to be continuing to eat. So <laughs> It's, uh, you know, that you can, you can kind of marry those two approaches and, and try to find like, what is the best way for me to uh, fuel myself if I have cancer as well as kind of go and get, getting the treatments done that you need to have done to kind of keep it from spreading or whatever. And it seems like that would be like a nice, a nice middle ground maybe. Is that, is that kind of what you're thinking too? Or Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good observation, Zach. So, you know, when, when, uh, this uh, cancer probably is, is the best example of it. Uh, as, as you see people adopting carnivore and keto and, and fasting uh, and looking at its effects in, uh, with regard to malignancies and cancers, I see a lot of researchers walking on eggshells because they're like, what am I going to say? But I think there is so much hope and reason to, to be optimistic with cancer and looking at, at diet to see its uh, impact and its uh, efficacy 
with getting rid of uh, disease and, and, and especially uh, cancer. So uh, I am encouraged. I think that we're going to see um, increased levels of ketones associated with uh, greater improved rates of uh, effectiveness in eradicating and treating uh, cancer. And then I hope through artificial intelligence and machine learning and looking at uh, lifestyles of people that we're going to see people that are ketogenic, higher levels of ketones, that eats a predominantly meat-based diet are going to have lower levels of malignancy. And I think AI, machine learning, artificial intelligence are going to help us have an improved perspective that will overcome some of the confounders that I know you, you're aware of and a lot of people in the audience that are listening to us today are aware of that make nutritional studies so challenging and difficult to try to uh, parcel out what is really going on with disease and, and health when it comes to nutrition. Hey, Sean, let me just uh, bring things back a little bit back to the visceral fat thing. And I just want to, because I, I don't know if you're doing this, but are you seeing any, I know where's a big, there's, there's, we, we're enamored with lipids, but, you, know, you know, serum lipid markers. And are you seeing, do triglycerides correlate with visceral fat or LDL cholesterol, which one or, or any? Do we, have you noticed a pattern in that, in that regard? I have. So typically with the eradication of visceral fat, those that lose visceral fat the most, lower the triglycerides. So there is a clear correlation between visceral fat reduction and the levels of triglycerides. And I also see what we call um, uh, lean body mass hyper-responders that have elevated levels of uh, LDL and, and total cholesterol, but uh, lower levels of visceral fat. So while the um, pharmaceutical-driven conventional healthcare community is, is chasing uh, treating cholesterol and high cholesterol with medications. I think the, the effective strategy for anybody listening today is to walk into their doctor and say, hey, I, I want to find out by my visceral fat. I want to get rid of it. And, and they'll see that the, their triglycerides will go down, uh, which I think is a much better marker uh, you know, as far as a, a blood lipid um, metric to follow than LDL and total cholesterol. And if, as you get into subparticalizations, and for a long time we did a lot of uh, subparticalizations, LDL 1, 2, 3, and 4, we would see you know, these uh, differences uh, favorable um, in, in the LDL particleization, the smaller, denser, more atherogenic um, uh, plaque-causing, disease-causing uh, lipids uh, were uh, higher in, in, in uh, larger quantities of visceral fat and would improve as you got rid of it. But, you know, it, it was just a lot of money spending and doing blood markers. And so now we just concentrate on visceral fat. I offer to people if they want to track it, uh, but it's just, as you know, the signal to noise ratio. If you, if you look at what really matters to what's distracting, the signal to noise ratio is just much higher much more attractive, much more beneficial when you look at that negative biomarker visceral fat than cholesterol, which has, you know, uh, an important biological function. And yeah, it, it can be used. It has, a, you know, some, you know, potential involvement with disease. But if you improve the level of health 
of people, give them a healthy lifestyle, they can have that cholesterol, those lipids going through their body, and it's not going to cause a problem. It's, uh, it's almost like that, you know, like the gun debate, not to get all political, but, you know, uh, guns themselves are, you know, uh, show up on a scene, they may not cause any problem, but in, in the wrong kind of a body, then they're a big problem. So um, I like to use the example that cholesterol uh, shows up. It, it's fine as long as you don't have a high level of inflammation that comes from a, a poor suboptimal lifestyle because then you have inflammation and cholesterol um, has, has some involvement there. But you know, with the optimized lifestyle, eating the correct diet, uh, you actually want, uh, and we see in studies, uh, higher levels of, uh, of uh, cholesterol uh, being associated with a, a, a smaller amount of mortality and disease. And just the opposite, you know, uh, it, when you start reducing that cholesterol, you, we're seeing increasingly higher levels of disease and mortality. So um, I, I just think uh, for the internet community and for researchers out there and healthcare providers, I think we should just stop talking about cholesterol. It just confuses people and, and uh, the drug companies love it. Conventional healthcare love it and the insurance companies love it. And I think we need to change the, the dialogue, the discussion towards something that really matters, you know, visceral fact. Uh, heck, you can stop talking about cholesterol and just you know, uh, track people's faces <laughs> far more better healthcare than you would get ever measuring cholesterol. Sean, one other question with the visceral fat stuff that I'm kind of interested in with these folks that you see that are coming who look very lean on the outside, but have higher or at least higher than ideal amounts of visceral fat. And then they heed to your advice and end up losing a lot of that visceral fat. Are they assuming they're already at a very lean state and they don't necessarily want to drop percentage in body fat? Are they seeing just like a reallocation of fat then? Or how's that working? Yeah, so tofies, you know, thin on the outside, fat on the inside, that maybe eating a, a high, higher carbohydrate diet and let more processed foods, you know, pastas and you know, bread and whatever, olive oil. And their, um, they, when they lose that, uh, that visceral fat, it goes down with the change in the, in the, the dietary strategies. And uh, they, they preserve their, their muscle tissue better. So we see uh, muscularity measured in the obliques and the uh, rectus abdominis muscu muscles and intercostal muscles uh, being preserved when they start living a more healthy way and not just preserved, but actually increased. You know, we, we see 50, 60 year old guys building obliques, their core, their psoas muscles uh, increasing when they start uh, eliminating processed foods and started adopting uh, more high intensity exercise, you know, where they, they reach an anaerobic threshold to, to increase that muscularity and uh, it improves their performance way better uh, than if they continue to eat that more visceral fat contributing uh, high carbohydrate diet. Sean, let me uh, transition a little bit. You know, you've got, you kind of alluded to this twin study you're doing, and I know one of our previous guests, uh, Trent Hendricks, and you guys communicated, and he was going to help you get some meat supply, which I think is wonderful that they're willing to help to, to get this stuff because it's such an important message to get out there. And, and I know you talked about measuring 
you know, among other things, visceral fat, but you talked about the circle of Willis circulation and maybe some microbiome. So, so talk to us a little bit more about this upcoming research project you have with the twins. Um, and, you know, where are you at in that? Have you done any testing yet? Are you allowed to say what yeah. the results have been so far? Because it's, it's, it's an interesting thought to look at twins because obviously that is probably the least confounded individual inset of individuals you could find with regard to genetics and all that other stuff. And so it's purely down to lifestyle. Yeah. Well, first, Sean, thank, thank you so much for uh, um, highlighting and bringing attention to this, uh, to this cause, because I think, I think it's interesting. If nothing else, it helps uh, create a discussion where people become informed about uh, carnivore um, eating and a low-carbohydrate diet or a high-carbohydrate diet. And, and that, I think that's important, because it gets it out of where, um, you know, the kind of discussions that just take place in conventional healthcare provider offices where it's, it's all about cholesterol. So with regard to the study, um, I have two, you know, two identical twins, monozygotic identical twin brothers that serve in the Army National Guard with me. Uh, I was excited to hear that one went carnivore and the other one is zinc carb. So I got interested as a researcher to take a look at the differences by MRIs. And they, you know, fortunately agreed to allow themselves to be studied. And our research practice is donating um, probably about $20,000 with the MRIs uh, studies to take a look at them, and I've I've uh, uh, gotten some other sponsors to to take a look at looking at ketones, and uh, I'm also going to look at continuous glucose monitoring and try to do some blood tests as well to try to expand that data. In this case, these these twins are in their 20s, they're 28, but uh, some other people, you know, because of your um, you know posting this on, on on your Twitter and Instagram, some other twins have contacted me, and they're a little bit older, and so. They'll be interesting to, to potentially uh, study as well. And uh, I, I think it, it's you know, identical twins, as you know, as a physician, are really important, unique um, individuals to, to take a look at in studies. And there's twin studies. So I hope to be able to approach large national twin studies and data banks to expand that. But uh, to answer your question, we are looking uh, at MRI. We're going to look at muscle so we can see the impact of of dietary changes between the carnivore and a carbohydrate diet with a muscularity hypertrophy and development of muscles and then muscle to fat ratios, um, how those are affected uh, in terms of uh, dietary strategies and uh, looking at uh, blood markers. And we hope to run the study, you know, as long as we can for about um, six, uh, six to 12 months, uh, you know, Trent Hendricks, and uh, Cabriello, I, I don't know how to actually spell his, uh, uh, his ranch, you know, fortunately, um, are, you know, agreed to, to be a sponsor and they've donated, uh, you know, grass-fed beef to the one carnivore twin. And I'm going to approach, uh, you know, uh, Olive Garden for the other one, <laughs> Get him, you know, because he, he said he'll go to Olive Garden, eat every day pasta. So, uh, you know, I kind of mixed feelings about, about that as a physician researcher. Uh, but it will be interesting to track the dietary strategies in those particular twins and others that may be suitable to, to measure. And I'll be glad to share those images and the data uh, with you as we continue to talk about it, because I, I think it, it's, uh, it is going to be useful to help educate people about uh, the impact uh, diet plays on, on people's health. Yeah, I guess the critics would say, you know, obviously it's going to be an ad libitum study. I mean, you can't unless, I mean, you don't have metabolic warts, so you're not going to be able to track. Carnivore's pretty easy to track because you're just like, what did you eat? You ate a bunch of meat. That's that's a pretty easy thing when you have somebody that's 
maybe they're eating Olive Garden every day and eating the endless breadstick thing or whatever. I mean, you don't know how many calories they're eating. You don't know all the foods they're eating. So there is it. I mean, you all, you can say meat versus omnivore. I mean, you know, and, and caloric, there may not be caloric equivalency. There may not be protein equivalency. So there'll be criticisms on that. But regardless, I mean, we live in an ad lib world, you know, and that, that's when the rubber meets the road. We can't all live in metabolic wards. And so we have to, you know, you know, we have to do it where we are. And so I think it's very interesting. And I, I wonder, um, you know, I, I put out a little social media, ask, I don't know if you saw that for some other twins, hope maybe some other ones have contacted you because I think this has potential to, 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 to really uh, be, be essential research. And are you going to hopefully look, I know you talked about University of Minnesota, maybe helping you get this thing at least as a case report published, because I think it would be incredibly helpful, you know, just to, to, to get this out there. Because you, like you said, you've got 4,000 patients sitting there. And if we don't put that in the literature, then, you know, it, it, well, it's not that no one hears about it, you know, because we are getting this information out through social media and there, and there may be some argument that that is just as good, uh, but it doesn't help insurance companies. It doesn't give physicians comfort in prescribing these diets when we're saying, look at this guy on the internet, you, you know, you have to have it. Unfortunately, in the standard, you know, the standard standard packaging that everybody likes to use. Yeah, no, no, I get it. I, and I agree with you. And that's, you know, I'm hoping to be able to take this and at least collect enough data and information to get to maybe some national twin studies and try to persuade them to start looking at dietary strategies, you know, focusing in on carbohydrate consumption, processed food consumption, carnivore and keto and high fat, low carb. And, um, you know, I'll give a, a shout out to um, the internet community. You know, the internet is doing a lot of amazing things and bad things, but one of the things I think it's doing is it's accelerating people to think about uh, how health can change through so many testimonies. You know, without the internet, we would never know the word keto. People wouldn't be doing it. They wouldn't know about carnivore, wouldn't happen. It would be this parochial thing that you'd be less likely to do. 12 years ago, or it was about 11 years ago, when I heard about uh, paleo, it was because Sergey Brin, this, this one you know, patient in front of me, told me Sergey Brin went paleo because Howlett was behaving on the internet. He was a, a data analyst, and he saw that a high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet maintained the interest of people online more than any other diet. Wasn't Atkins, wasn't Jenny Craig, Nutrisystems, Weight Watchers. It was the, the term paleo. It kept people reading, and so they saw, they concluded reliably that it was important to people. The reason why something is important because it works, and so people stayed with it. The next thing that happened was endorsement. People that went paleo endorsed it to their closest family and friends, and the same thing happened. And so I will submit to you that that's going on with carnivore now, that people are endorsing it and spending time reading about it. And so if, if we didn't have an internet, Sean Baker wouldn't be out there being able to promote this. It wouldn't be going through, you know, community because the doctors in conventional healthcare are just not going to be promoting it. So I, I'm super excited. I embrace the fact that we have social media and the internet as a really useful tool to help educate people to this, 
but we just need to get them to measure the differences, measure the improvements that they're having in their life. You know, I, I don't want people out there drinking arsenic because we say, you know, you should be drinking arsenic on the internet. We need, it's, I think, important for us in, in, the, in, in, the, in the online internet community to get people the appropriate uh, biomarkers to follow that actually uh, comply with the improvement and optimization of health and, and invite people to pay attention to that and they'll, they'll endorse it to other people. And if you're in conventional healthcare, I wouldn't be investing in conventional healthcare. I think, I think carnivore, keto, high fat, low carbohydrate diet is going to make en, uh, inroads into revenues of healthcare. And, um, and I, if you were General Mills and you're selling cereal, you better be worried about car, you know, your high carbohydrate uh, product diet as people increasingly become aware of the biological efficacy of eating a, a low carb or no carbohydrate diet and the, the impact that has. So yeah, I think, I think the internet is, is, is gonna play a critical role in this and I'm very happy I found out about, uh, about you and, and carnivore diet and, and doing it myself and, and uh, got my family doing it. We're loving it, man, it's awesome. Yeah, I think that uh, one of the pushbacks and you talked to us earlier about the, the young vegans, you know, one of the, a lot of the marking goes out to these teenagers and 20 year old, this is a market and they lay down their adult patterns while they're still healthy and they, they can tolerate this higher processed food carbohydrates you know we when we were in our 20s we could eat just about anything for a period of time and then it eventually catches up to us and so you know you've got that um why i do agree that uh you know we when we are seeing some market response to keto and paleo and and whatever and then you know to some degree not really carnival but you probably will it tends to be these products you know we see this processed food product how can we make it cheap how can we make it shelf shelf stable uh, you know, and, and when, and when, when you and I both know the real answer is we need you know, actual food, you know, meat and dairy and eggs potentially, or maybe not plus minus dairy. And, you know, for some people it's going to be vegetables and some fruit, you know, that, that's, that more, that's, that's not a high market margin. I mean, that's, that's the problem here. And, and, you know, so I think the, the question becomes, you know, as we see this plant-based healthy plant-based saving environment narrative the, the the response from industry is we're going to make this synthetic factory made you know basically chemical experiment slop that we're going to pass off to you guys and and that's you know that's that's the profitable part so i i, I certainly am optimistic but i see there's also a lot a lot of financial incentive to not do that the other way and they're, they're pushing that message uh really hard that that we all need to cut back on meat and, and get on board the impossible burger. Yeah. I, I just want to share an experience I had. It's, it's happened about three times, but two really bad ones where uh, before I went carnivore, I was eating, you know, a lot of meat, but I was eating, you know, some meat, mostly vegetables. <laughs> I went through a period like, like that for a while. And uh, so, you know, some vegetables turned into a lot of vegetables. And, and when I would eat like at this trough, vegetables I, i'd have like okay so you know two or three vegetables are good 30 will be really good <laughs> so i would put like 
30 different types of vegetables in there and, you know, all these different things. And it would just be this like buffet in this big trough. And I developed a, a few episodes of profound abdominal pain. And on one occasion, I knew I was an ER physician. I was obstructed. I had a bowel obstruction. I was moaning and groaning. I was a, a narcotics agent. It was a V. I will say that I am the most anti-narcotic physician in the country that I can think of. And all I could think about was getting out of that bed and going to the ER and getting two milligrams or four milligrams of Dilaudid IV stat because it was incompatible with life. I had an unbelievable pain in my abdomen. And so I was begging. They thought I was drug seeking. I showed up there and I got obstructed from these, these vegetables. So, you know, lectins, saponins, these plant defenses, you know, I'm not saying that there's no role of, of vegetables and plants. I think I'm an open-minded researcher and a scientist, but we better take a look at these plant defenses and figure this out. And we have less, left our traditions where, you know, we have accumulated this knowledge of how we're supposed to live uh, for this civilized life. And uh, it, it, I think it's causing some, some real harm and concern. So um, I, I'm a big advocate for carnival right now, just, just because I'm not saying it's the ultimate lifestyle, but here's what it does. In my opinion, it gets rid of those harmful things right away that are, are you know, slowly, chronically going into the diet. And we're seeing this, this dramatic anecdotal experience that people are improving so much because I don't know that it's like the, the super healthiest substance in the world like meat, but it's the absence of these other problems that we've accumulated with plants, monocropping and our agricultural processes have introduced such potential problem that at least right now for the safest strategy, I'm on board carnivore, at least for a trial, get off the plants and, and track the improvement that you get from eating a, 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 a carnivore diet. And ideally, uh, if you're not gonna do that, a high fat, low carbohydrate diet with a, a healthy a predominance of good, healthy meat. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And, you know, you can always bring the plants back if you want. It's not like you have to abstain from them for the rest of your life by, by trying things out. And, you know, I, I have, I guess, a fairly unique uh, opportunity to test like just human digestion from the sense that, you know, I'm not a big person, mostly due to like, you know, the, the lifestyle I lead for ultra marathon running. But with the huge energy demands, you know, sometimes I'm eating like someone twice my size, if not bigger. And, you know, you can find out pretty quick where the margin of diminishing returns are with certain things. And, you know, like fiber, especially, I think like, you know, you can tolerate a certain amount of it, but there's also a point where too much is kind of a counterproductive thing and you end up with digestive issues or just going to the bathroom way more often than one would expect to, to need to. And uh, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, no, I, th I, think, uh, I think we need to think about it. And I think we need to be asking these kind of questions in the internet uh, community and discussions and experience people having, um, I, th I think are stimulating a lot of, uh, a lot of this is experimentation. And the more it gets discussed, I'm hoping that we can, we can help uh, form that dialogue and, and the discipline science that we need to take a look at it. And confront the, the profit-seeking mindset that seems to be prevalent 
in university and, uh, centers and research centers where it, it's, it's, there's just no appetite for looking at natural things. I mean, there's the appetite interested in medical devices, technology. I mean, the other day I saw, you know, uh, medical devices that uh, dissolve in your, inside your abdomen with a light. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you think of, you know, plants are potentially problematic, think about plastic polymers and medical devices dissolving inside your abdomen and ask yourself what's, what's going to go on there. So, you know, it just amazes me that the, the particular focus of research um, seems to be predominant in those particular areas. And I'm wondering, you know, when are we going to start seeing the research community looking at what happens when a homo sapien adopts a carnivore-only diet? And I think, I think we need to see it. I think, I think we need to have, you know, this, these kind of discussions and I'm super excited about you guys promoting this. And, uh, uh, I, th I think it's just, it's going to be a very, very important part of our, uh, healthcare strategy, hopefully, uh, for decades to come. Yeah. I mean, if you go back to the 1950s, 60s, you know, Blake Donaldson's strong medicine was, uh, almost you know he treated all his patients put them basically on meat you know and that was you know, maybe a few other things but mostly it was meat and that's been we've known this stuff forever but i i think you know when they can figure out how to find a drug that mimics what a carnivore diet does we'll see a lot more interest you know that might be the <laughs> the thing that happens uh but I, i'm not going to hold my breath beyond that um i unfortunately have to head out guys this has been a wonderful discussion sean we'd like to let's get you back when you get some of this research yeah. Along the way, let's talk about the results. Um, I appreciate it. Let people know where they can find out more about you, please. Yeah. So if people are interested, they can follow me um, on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Sean O'Mara at D-R-S-E-A-N-O-M-A-R-A. I spelled my first name correctly. <laughs> the Irish way. And uh, you can also find me on my, my website, Med conwellness.com. It's short for Medical Concierge Wellness, M-E-D-C-O-N-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S. -E -E and if you're interested in being, you know, optimizing your health, I'd like to have you as a client. I'm looking for the healthiest men and women in the world to work with and improve them. Awesome, Sean. Well, thanks a bunch for giving us some time and sharing some of your interests and uh, research. And we would love to have you back on to talk about some of those results, as Sean said. But I will link the social media and website stuff to the show notes so our listeners can click through and find you and see what you're up to. Great. Well, thank you very, very much, Zach and Sean. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here with you and your audience. Take care. Okay. Hey folks, Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing. And due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.